So today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Who went to retreat last weekend? Okay, cool. Uh, if you had a good time like this, kind of okay time like this, bad time like this. Okay, mostly up and good. All right, great. So if you got to go to retreat, I'm really thankful you got to come. If you didn't get to go to retreat, that's totally okay. What we're going to do today is going to help you. We're going to review the sessions that we had at retreat, and then we're going to look at a passage from Mark chapter 4 that shows us the same theme from retreat. So you kind of get like a mini one, I don't know, one sermon version of retreat. Okay. Um, what were some of your favorite things from retreat? Can you shout it out? Go ahead. Food, games, igloo, snowball fights, waffles. <laughs> All right, cool. Huh? Good toast. All right, cool. All right. Thank you for sharing. Um, because I don't have a microphone, if it's 50 people versus me, I will lose, okay? So 50 people versus me, I will lose. Now, who remembers some of the things we talked about at retreat? Yeah? Go ahead, Seth. Second Samuel 6, good. Yeah, someone touches the ark and then dies. What was his name? Uzzah or Uzzah, either one. Good. What else do you remember from retreat? The size of the universe in God's hand. Yeah, is it like this? Yeah, it's like here to here. That's how big the universe is to God. Good, good. What else do you guys remember? Go ahead, Becky. God bless Obed-Edom, right? Good. Obed-Edom's house. <laughs> what else do you guys remember from retreat? David dancing crazy. All right, good, good, good. Okay, so we <laughs> let's, let's review a little bit. Okay, there's three sessions. You guys talk, touched actually all of them, which is great. Um, session one, the infinite God who creates, right? From Genesis chapter one, the infinite God who creates. Genesis one says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We learn that God is a big God. Right? He's not a small God. He's not a puny God. He's infinitely powerful. He's infinitely in charge. And he's infinitely good. Tranway, Pastor Tranway, if you remember, he was the one who, was, who spoke. He told us about the sheer size of the universe. The innumerable numbers of stars and planets and galaxies. You guys remember that? It wasn't just a few. It was a ton. A ton of things that God has made. Isaiah 40 says, Who has measured the waters the waters of all the universe, in the palm of his hand. And who has marked off the heavens with a span that's this long? And who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? And who has weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Have you? you ever, anyone done that before? They, they weighed the mountains of the earth. They put all of the oceans in their hand and said, yeah, it's about this much. I haven't. But God has. He said, let there be light, let there be birds, let there be animals, and there was, right? Can you do that? Can I do that? Let there be pizza. No pizza, right? Let there be ice cream. No ice cream. But when God says, let there be, it always happens. That was session one, the infinitely big God who we get to worship. Session two, this is probably the one you guys remember the most. The holy God who judges from 2 Samuel chapter 6. And Uzzah, or Uzzah, touches the ark, and what happens? He dies. God strikes him dead. 
The point of the story is that God is holy. He's not like you or me. He's holy. He's not stained with sin. He has no impurities in him at all. And his holiness demands our reverence, our fear. It demands that if we transgress his holiness, we're punished. In this narrative, God is moving the holy ark of God, right? What is the ark? What does it look like? It's basically like a gold box, right? It's a special gold box. Those angels, the cherubim, are on top of it, covering the mercy seat. It's the object itself really is a representation of the fact that God dwells with his people, right? God dwells with his people. How are they supposed to carry it? Remember? Yeah. You can shout it out. Poles, good, on poles, right? So two people like this, two people like this behind the ark, and they're supposed to carry it, right? But how did David move the ark? Ox cart, good. Is that right or wrong? Wrong, wrong. okay. So they're moving with the ox cart, and it's coming along. But then, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6, when they came to the threshing full of Nakon, Uzzah or Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. I mean, oxen nearly knocked it on the floor. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. So it's very clear. Who killed Uzzah? God. God killed Uzzah. And why? For trying to help. Right? All Uzzah was doing was trying to help. He wanted to prevent the ark from touching the ground. But he miscalculated. Tranway reminded us that he did not realize his hand was filthier than the dust of the earth. Why? Because he's a sinner, just like you and me. Because Uzzah was a sinner. And because he brought his sin into contact with God's holiness, what happened? He died. Death. That means, really, God takes his holiness seriously. Really seriously. I think too easily we treat God as if he's just like a Santa Claus in heaven. As he's always waiting to just give us good things. Can you turn down the mic right hand side? Or turn down the volume? Thank you. I think it's probably Eric. <coughs> you guys okay? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So too easily we treat God like a Santa Claus in heaven. As if he's just there, you know, to give us good things and to check who's being naughty, who's nice. But we forget that God is holy. And because he's holy, he demands our worship. He demands that we fear him. Now, fear here, Channel reminded us, doesn't mean terror. It doesn't mean we run away from God because we're afraid of him. Fear instead means respect, that we bow before him, that we know he's bigger and greater and more powerful than we are. When he speaks, we listen. When he commands, we obey. To quote Mr. Beaver from The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, as Channel did, God isn't safe, but he is good. God isn't safe, but he is good. So you see those two sides, right? God's holiness, God's justice. God's mercy and love, God's fearsome anger. Both of those things are true of him. And we cannot forget either. But Tranway is a really helpful illustration to describe how we often forget of God's holiness. We often forget about his justice. Do you guys remember? Something about the teacher, there was some papers that were due. Yes, it's not? Okay, cool. So he told the story by R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul is actually one of my favorite teachers. He wrote the book called The Holiness of God, which is a great book, and which actually a lot of the retreat came from. And as a professor, he required his students to write three papers for a college course. His strict policy was no late work. What happened if he turned in late? 
f, f. When the first paper is due, some of the students hadn't finished the papers yet. And so they're anxious and they're desperate and they begged for mercy. They begged for mercy. They said, please, Dr. Sproul, we'll give it, we'll, please give us an extension. We'll, we'll, we'll turn on time, right? And so Dr. Sproul said, okay. He gave them mercy, he gave them grace, and he took their papers late and didn't fail them. Right? When the second paper is due, do you think more students did that or less? More. more, right? More students did that. More students said, oh, we haven't finished the paper yet. But they're less nervous. They're less anxious. They asked for mercy, and R.C. Sproul again gave it to his students. When the third paper was due, almost half of his class hadn't finished the paper yet. They weren't nervous a bit. They assumed Dr. Sproul would be merciful. They assumed that he would give them grace, that he would not fail them. Were they right? No. No, they were wrong, right? He started listing their names. I don't know, Mr. Smith, did you have a paper? No. F. Mr. Johnson, you have a paper? No. F. And one of the students, particularly, was very mad. He said, that's not fair, fair right? Not just. <clears throat> Dr. Sproul said, fair? You want me to be fair? If it were fair, then you'd receive an F not only for this third paper, but also for your second paper, which was also late. So what, what's, the, what's the story supposed to tell us? We often take advantage of God's mercy. We assume we deserve his mercy. We assume we deserve his love. And when he gives us justice instead, we wrongly say, that's not fair. Wait, is this fictional? No, this is a real story. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Sproul is a real person. Um, he's, he's died and gone to heaven, but he's a real person. Huh? Professor, doctor, yeah? Wait, he's both. Wait, that class is real? <laughs> yeah, the class is real. Okay, okay. To bring the story home, yes, God is merciful. We always should remember that. But never can we take advantage of his mercy. We must fear him. Third session, the gracious God who blesses. In this last session, Tranway gives the story of 2 Samuel 6, the second half. But it's a surprising twist, right? The ark goes into Obed-Edom's house, and Obed-Edom is yeah. blessed. But we thought he'd be killed, right? That's what I expected. We thought he'd be killed. <clears throat> the point is that God's nearness, God's presence, is not something to fear, but actually something that brings great blessing. This merciful God and this holy God are the same God. This just God and this gracious God are the same God. Those are united in him. And remember David's wife, Michal? What did she do? Was she for David or against David? Against David. She hated David, right? She despised him. Second Samuel 6 says, It happened that the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him. What does despise mean? Hated. She hated him in her heart. Uh, Tranway mentioned how saying Michael, or Michal, daughter of Saul, it's kind of weird, right? Like, that's not how you typically identify your wife. But the point is that she identified with King Saul, her dad, more than King David. And she was not thankful for the grace that God gave. All right, so if you missed a treat, it's a five-minute summary, so you're all caught up to speed, okay? <laughs> if you want to listen to sessions two or three, they're actually online. Um, I forgot to record session one, so that's my bad. But session two and three are online. You can listen to it yourselves. Yes, Hush. Paul? Uh, that's a different Saul, a different Paul. King Saul lived a long time before the Apostle Paul, but yes. Um, um, hold on. Why is it fearing God is a way to love him? Yeah, it's a way to show his love. We're going to talk about this today, actually. Good question. What did he miss in 2 and 4? 
There was no session four. Yeah, so what was it that we were supposed to hear? Um, it was selected scriptures, I think on God's love. Oh. Yeah. Um, oh, I have a lot of questions. Yes. <laughs> why are there eight, why are there eight questions? Oh, there's a lot of questions today. You'll find. Go ahead, Benjamin. Yeah. We're going to talk about that today. That's a great question. We're going to talk about that today. Yes, Becky. Last question. He did. He did mention that. That was pretty funny, huh? <laughs> Alrighty. So tonight, what I want to do is actually take a long time in our small groups. That's why you have eight questions. But before that, I want to look at a passage together and just comment on some things. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And we've actually reviewed this passage before. Justin preached for, it, pre preached for us about a year ago. We were all outside in the tent, if you guys can remember that. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'll read this passage because the same themes in this passage, the same themes from retreat are actually found in this passage as well. So please turn to Mark chapter 4. If you need help, Mark is the second book in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, then Mark. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I'll read the text and we'll pray. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you want us to come to you. We thank you so much, Lord, for learning that you are a holy God and Lord, that we get to learn that you are a gracious and loving God. Show us your son that we might see you. We thank you so much for Pastor Tranway. We thank you so much for the sermons he gave to us and the great gift they were. We ask that you would bless him at his church. You bless his family. That, Father, you continue to use him to Preach your gospel, Lord, and help many, many of your people. We thank you so much for all this in Christ's name. Amen. I remember that verse. <clears throat> so we've preached this before, and it's a very famous story from the life of Jesus, right? I mean, who remembers learning this in children's ministry? A lot of people, right? We've heard the storm and the wind and the waves. <clears throat> it's a story about how God cares for us even in our storms. It's a story of how God is powerful even over the wind and the waves. It's a story how he's always in control, even when it doesn't seem like it. But tonight, I don't want to focus on the storm. Tonight, I want to focus on what happens after the storm. Look at verse 40. Jesus says, after calming the storm, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they, his disciples, were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Remember, at first, the disciples were afraid of the storm. They're afraid of drowning because the wind and the waves were so great. And then Jesus calms the storm. He says, peace, be still. But the disciples were not comforted. 
They were not at peace. Instead, they who were fear, they were filled with even greater fear. They were terrified. The storm outside the boat had stopped, but the storm inside their hearts was howling even louder. Before they were, out, they were scared of what was outside the boat, and now they're afraid of the person in the boat sitting right across from them. They kept saying to each other, who is this guy? Did you see what he just did? Who is this Jesus? The wind and the sea obey him? Who can do things like this? They're terrified. In college, I went to uh, Taipei, Taiwan for two summers with my church. In the mornings, we'd share the gospel on campus at National Taiwan University. And in the evenings, we'd host this free English camp for anyone who would come, and we'd try to start gospel conversations about Jesus. I loved them. These are some of the greatest summers of my life. Now, if you've ever been to Asia in the summer, you'll know that there's something called monsoon season. Anyone know what monsoon season is? Yeah? Okay, a little bit. So, a monsoon is basically a huge tropical storm when the sky just dumps water upon the ground and the wind howls and lightning tears across the sky. It's crazy, right? In LA, we have nothing like this at all. Like, if it, when it rains like a quarter of an inch, the kids I live with, like, put on their rain jackets, put on their boots, and, like, go stomp outside in the puddles because they think it's, I don't know, the greatest thing ever, right? Monsoons in Taiwan are not like that. They turn, if you go outside, your umbrellas will for sure break and then fly out of your hands. The monsoons will drench you to the bone. They rip up trees, they tear down shop signs, they tip over rows of hundreds of bicycles that are parked on the side, and they flood entire streets. If you're in a monsoon, like, good luck getting home. If you're not in a monsoon, you wait until the monsoon stops in order to go home. One night in Taiwan, we got stuck in our church building because of a monsoon. Sheets of rain were slamming against the windows, the wind seemed like it would blow our whole building over, and every few seconds, the thunder went boom, boom. I mean, I've never heard thunder so loud in my life. Maybe I'm just a wimpy California kid, but I was afraid. I felt small. I felt powerless. Compared to a monsoon, I'm like a bug in a flood. But a monsoon is just the tiniest glimpse of God's power. If I'm just a bug compared to a monsoon, what am I compared to God? This is maybe the tiniest peek into what the disciples felt. They saw the wind and the waves and the storm and they were afraid. But then they saw the power in the boat overwhelm that power and they became even more afraid. Who is this man? This man who looks like a normal man, who acts like a normal man, who talks like a normal man, but does things that no man can do. Jesus is God incarnate, right? We learned about that word during Christmas. Anyone can tell me what incarnate means? Close. It's a similar word. Incarnate, incarnation means in the flesh. Good. Incarnation means in the flesh, in the body, right? <clears throat> so if God is incarnate, that means the same God who said, let there be light, and there was, is the same God who's in the flesh, in the boat, with the disciples. Yes, Jesus is God the Son, not God the Father. And yet, the scripture says that he is the creator God. It says that by Christ, all things were created. It says that all things came into being through Jesus. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. It says that there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. That's when Jesus says to the storm, cease. The storm obeys. It obeys because it's his storm. It's his sea. It's his wind. It's his creation. 
When the creation's master says stop, the creation says yes, sir. Imagine if you're one of these disciples. You're sitting in this fishing boat, after a freak storm, an even freakier miracle by this Jesus guy, you realize that God, the one who made everything, is sitting right across from you. How would you feel? What would you do? You'd be terrified. In Luke chapter 5, I want you guys to turn there. Go to Luke chapter 5. So it's Matthew, Mark. Next book over is Luke. <clears throat> Luke chapter 5. We hear exactly how Simon Peter responded when he realized this. Luke chapter 5, verse 3. Luke's in your New Testament. New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Luke 5, 3 says this. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from, from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let, your, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we worked all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. Thank you. Thank you, Gav. So that they began to sink. There's so many fish in the boat, the boats began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. The fish came into the net because their master, Jesus Christ, commanded them to. And when Jesus saw it, he knew that this man, this Jesus, was holy. So he said, get away from me. I'm a sinner. I can't be with you. Maybe he even thought, if I touch you, I will die. Sound familiar? When holiness touches sinfulness... Sinners are supposed to die. In the Old Testament, Israel's commanded, fear the Lord. In the New Testament, the church is commanded, fear the Lord. And who is that Lord? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We hear a lot about how Jesus is gentle and kind, patient, merciful, and I, to that I always say amen, amen. That's totally true. But at the same time, we must never forget that he is also holy. Holy, just like God the Father. Because he is God. That means we need to respect and fear and revere him in the same way that we would fear and revere God in heaven. Jesus is the Holy Lord God. We must fear him. And now we start to answer your question, Ben. However, that's not the end of the story. Right? It's not the end of the story. Look at verse 40. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And this is part two. The Holy God whom we can trust. Trust the Lord. There's definitely an aspect of Jesus kind of correcting the disciples, saying, you shouldn't be afraid, right? I'm here. But we also shouldn't miss the invitation that he's giving. He doesn't want to just scare the living daylights out of them and then leave. That's not his point, right? He's saying, you need to fear the Lord, but also you can trust me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you can trust me, right? This kind of fear is not a fear that says run away from God, but really it's a fear that says run to God. Faith is the key that unlocks or trust in God, this faith that we talk about a lot, is the key that unlocks the door to all of God's blessings. Right? It means you believe God that who he is is who he says he is. Believe God that who he says you are is who he says you are. He says he's strong and mighty and kind and good and perfect. And that we are not. We're sinners. We need a savior. And the scripture says that he is that savior if we trust in him.
So Jesus says to you, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid of what people think about you? Why are you afraid of getting a bad grade? Why are you afraid of disappointing your parents? Why are you afraid of sickness and suffering, even death? Why do you still fear? And he says, do you not believe still? Do you not trust me yet? Why do you live in fear when you could come to me? That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us. Now, last thing to notice here. You notice when Jesus calmed the storm, he used two short sentences, right? He said, peace, be still. You ever wonder why he said two things? Like, did the first one not work or something? I thought it was weird, right? So I looked into it. And it actually turns out that he's quoting a psalm. Can you go to Psalm 107 with me? Psalm 107. Psalm's like right in the middle of your Bible. So if you open the middle, you'll probably find it. <coughs> That's good, because we actually, I actually preached it in the summer, if you remember. If you don't remember, it's okay. But Psalm 107. Yep, 107. Look at verse 23. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Look at verse 29. He made the storm to be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Now, who knows what active voice and passive voice means? Okay, I won't explain it. Basically, he made the storm to be still, it's active voice. The waves of the sea were hushed, passive voice. Now listen to Jesus' commands. He says, peace. Literally means silence. Active voice. And then passive voice, be still, or literally, be hushed. So Jesus isn't using two commands because the first one didn't work. He's not using two commands just because it was fancy. He's doing it because he's actually quoting Psalm 107. And Psalm 107 is really important because Psalm 107 is a psalm about how God saves by his love. And how he saves all kinds of people. Prisoners, wanderers, fools, desperate sinners. So in quoting this verse, Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of the Old Testament. I am the Lord who graciously loves, who graciously saves all kinds of people. I am the Lord who saves even you. We can even summarize our passage from Mark 4 with Psalm 107, verse 28. Then they, the disciples, cried to the Lord Jesus in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm to be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Jesus is the Lord God, the Holy Lord God, who loves us and saves everyone who comes to him. I chose Mark 4 today because I wanted to show you the same themes we talked about during retreat. Fearing God, believing God, trusting God, knowing that he's a gracious God, are still found in the New Testament. The New Testament and the Old Testament are not two totally separate books, but it's one unified whole that centers on how we need God because that's how he made us to be. Sometimes we think holiness and mercy are contradictory, right? Not in God. They always belong together. Because God is holy, we must fear him. Because God is gracious and loves us, we can trust him. 
Because Jesus is God, he's holy. Because he is God, we must fear and obey him. Because Jesus is the Lord God, he's gracious. And because he's gracious, we can find our forgiveness in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are truly holy and good. That we can fear you, Lord, and, Lord, we can trust you because, Lord, you love us so. We thank you that you've shown yourself perfectly in the person of your son, that he is, Lord, how we get to see you. I thank you so much, Father, for learning these things. I thank you so much that we get to know you as you are, and I pray that you'd help us in small groups to know you just a little bit better, and, Lord, to pray to you because you're a God who loves to hear your people's prayers. We thank you so much for all this grace in Christ's name. Amen.